Welcome to the Witches and Wine audio experience. then I really feel like you must have had a past life in Korea, for sure. I was told once by a, a great Zen master here, a mm -hmm. senior monk, that, uh, in fact, I had been here before and had been to that mountain, Jirisam, the most sacred mountain. He said the spirit of the mountain already knew me. So hello everybody, this is Chawan here again. Today, if you notice, I'm not at a cafe, I'm not stuffing my face, although I did drop some food on myself. Um, I am at the office of Professor David Mason and I'm at Sejong University. I'm looking out here because I see mountains in the back. Yep. He's guided tours all over Korea for 20 years. 이들은 메이슨 교수를 통해 산에 숨겨진 진짜 한국을 알아가고 있습니다. Eventually, the government accepted my suggestion and the temple stay is now an iconic cultural and tourist activity here in Korea. written many books about Korea. The most famous book, and again, uh, coming out in 1999, so kind of an old one, Spirit of the Mountains. This book was awarded uh, the Book of the Year by the Korean government when it came wow. out, being the first one about such an important aspect of Korean culture, and they actually translated my book into Korean. He knows so many facets about Korea and he's also lived in Korea for over 30 years. So he's experienced Korea on the ground too. And he's been told he's had a past life in Korea and I totally believe it. So thank you so much for taking time to speak to me, David. My pleasure. So yeah, one of the things that I think a lot of people would be fascinated with is you're a guy from Michigan. Yeah. And you come to Korea, and I think a lot of people would be like, all right, lots of Westerners love to come to Korea for the beautiful women, the food, and nowadays maybe K-pop and the how you wave. Mm -hmm. But you came, and you really connected with the land. You saw mountains in your mountains. Yep. Yes, yes, yes. The landscape here really turned me on. It did. Uh, Ever since I was a teenager, and in Michigan, we don't have much of great high mountains, maybe just the Upper Peninsula, and I was a Boy Scout, and got to go out west and see the Rockies and hike there, and really kind of fell in love with the idea of high mountains, and later uh, the Canadian Rockies, and then the Sierra Mountains of California, and got into the Native American traditions of like having a vision quest in those uh, great mountains, uh, regarding them as holy spiritual places to find your spirit guide. And did you? Yes, yes, I uh, wow. did. I uh, got, uh, got the spirit name Mountain Wolf 
in a quest in the Sierras that uh, it ends up now as my like email address, mountainwolf at yahoo.com. Awesome. So um, these... Uh, these things very much inform my life. I started with these uh, kind of Native American traditions, but also got very interested in the East Asian uh, philosophical, religious, and spiritual traditions of uh, Confucianism. Through its major works of writing, such as the Four Books and the Five Classics, it has taken root not only as a religion, but also as a system of thought. Hamdang Wudun is the codes that must be kept between the king and his subjects, parents and the children, and husbands with their wives. Samgangurun has long been respected as the fundamental ethics of Korean society. The religiosity of Confucianism can be best seen in its various ceremonies and rituals. Confucianism, Taoism, Buddhism, especially Zen Buddhism, and then shamanic uh, spirituality that uh, kind of intersects with all of those. And then coming to Korea, really uh, found them in combination in a unique way. They, all these philosophical, spiritual traditions in the mountains, and that's mainly where they're located here. And that's a unique thing about Korea because of its particular history. There's a reason for this. What so, is the reason? Well, something that happened that didn't happen in any other East Asian country. Korea was Buddhist, with a heavy-duty shamanism for a thousand years, the combination of that ideologically uh, dominating the nation. And then Neo-Confucianism took over about 600 years ago in a revolutionary way. They threw out the Buddhists and the shamanists and actually made them illegal for most of the entire Joseon dynasty, which is 500 years long. Uh, Buddhism and shamanism banned from the cities. They could not enter the cities. And most Buddhist temples or any such shrine were torn down within the cities. So Buddhists and shamans were exiled to the mountains, the rings of mountains around the cities, and to the deepest mountains of the nation, uh, where small meditation-oriented Buddhist temples in the mountains became big monasteries because the monks weren't allowed in the cities anymore. Every other country in East Asia, the greatest Buddhist temples of the nation are generally in the capital city. They're right next to the king's palace. And 700 years ago, Korea was like that also. But Korea is unique in that they cleaned all that out of the cities. It was forbidden for 500 solid years until around, uh, until 1910, when the Japanese took over Korea as colonialism and ended that Joseon dynasty, one of the first things they did was legalize Buddhism. And mm. Buddhist monks and shamans could come back into the city for the first time in five, 500 years. So still today, all the greatest historical places of Korean shamanism, spirit, uh, spirit worshiping activities, and Korean Buddhism and even Korean uh, Confucianism, the great academies, are out in the mountains. You have to understand the irony of this, that for hundreds of years, it was a very sad exile. The, the, the monks were out there weeping in the mountains to be exiled from civilization. And in these deep mountains, surrounded by bears and tigers, it was uh, dangerous. 
and having to grow their own food just barely to survive. They thought it was very sad. But then we get to the modern, the, the late 20th century, that suddenly there's paved roads going into these temples, and then electric lines and telephone, and then later satellite dishes and computer cable connection and luxurious... Uh, housing conditions are more luxurious, nice, and suddenly these deep mountain temples are the best places in Korea to live. It's wonder you're in the middle of a national park. Imagine living, you got a house in the middle of Yosemite Valley or something. Yeah, with hot springs, waterfalls, pure clean water, pure air, pine forests. Billionaires cannot even buy this kind of property when they want to, but Buddhist monks and shamans, they have the right to live there, and they still live out there. So hundreds of years of very bad fortune have turned into good fortune. Discovering this, when, when I come here and very first was here in 1982, discovering that all the greatest Buddhist temples and Confucian and shamanic and Taoist sites are in the deepest mountains and the most beautiful national park sites, that was a real turn-on. And because of this location, of course, those religious philosophies become very associated with mountains, with the earth, uh, closely, much more than, say, an urban temple would be in other countries, or modern urban temples here, even. Uh, just living with the four seasons and the mountain itself. So the mountain spirit the mountain spirit becomes primary deity for all of these traditions. And even today, every major Christian church, there are big Christian churches that are in the city, but they all establish prayer camps at the mountains, and especially at the most holy, sacred mountains. They share them with the Buddhists, the shamans, the Taoists. They share those mountains with Christian prayer camps. They don't believe in the mountain spirit, at least they say they don't, but they just say this is a good place to grow close to God, to find the Holy Spirit. There's a natural energy vortex, maybe. Place like Jirisan, perhaps the most sacred mountain out of all the holy mountains of this nation, has got five or six different religions practicing on that mountain, including uh, Protestants and Catholics, who agree that it's a holy mountain, agree that it's a sacred area, and share the mountain together. Five or six. I don't think there's anything else like this in the entire world. What most people, yeah. when they hear about Korea these days, it's the CNN thing about nuclear war and crazy North Korea and the DMZ barbed wire fences. As most people's image of Korea and maybe number two is an industrial powerhouse with Samsung and the TV screens and the Hyundai cars, you know, huge. So many young foreigners want to power. come here for the culture. And the K-pop. And thing. the K-pop. That's number three. <laughs> yeah. Now, I've worked all my career in trying to bring out the spiritual side of Korea. Mm -hmm. And as a tourism professor or previously a government official of tourism to try to show that side of things, uh, the, the spiritual activity in the mountains, and promote that kind of tourism and that whole reputation of Korea, which is such a different Korea. And you can see how it's very counterbalancing this whole spiritual side in the mountains where it's so peaceful and gentle and spirit-oriented and dealing with intangible 
uh, so the best aspects of the human mind um, in, in great natural beauty. This is what we want more people to come to Korea to experience mm. that side, or at least experience that along with the other things. Well, you know, a huge part of modern witchcraft is to provide offerings to land spirits. It's kind of like in Iceland, mm. how mm. they won't build anything before they consult the land spirits. Mm. Uh, one of the most basic things that you do in magic is maybe you offer incense to land spirits every morning. Mm -hmm. um, you ask the local spirits of, and you know, if you live in the city, there might be a spirit in maybe even like the corner, you know, by the bodega. Mm -hmm. If you live in the countryside, there might be a spirit in the barn. Um, but it's land spirits um, and the air spirits and the water spirits that you're asking for blessings from. Mm -hmm. So when I came to Korea, I was like, okay, there must be some sort of spirit that's sort of like really strong in Korea. Hence, I was looking online and I found your website and it's the mountain spirits. San, which means mountain in Korea, and Shin, which means spirit. So San Shin. Yeah, San Shin. That's right. It's an ancient belief from the, the Korean's origins from Siberia thousands of years ago. And in Siberia, mountain spirit is one among many powerful spirits, and maybe the tree spirits are more powerful. Mm. Yeah, they don't really have so many mountains. And so, but here, this Korean peninsula, it, you first of all got to understand, is 75% mountains, the entire peninsula. That's a very high percentage. And North Korea, then 80% mountains, which is why they have trouble feeding themselves. There's really extremely little flat land uh, up there to grow, and down here, 70% uh, in South Korea, which makes it a little easier to feed itself, but not that many. Now we have 50 million people living in, either, South Korea is the size of the state of Indiana. You should, audience, understand that. It is tiny. Look at an American map. Indiana, that's how big it is, South Korea. But there's 50 million human beings living there. Now, it used to be in this space only about five or six million, but with modern health practices and everything in 20th century, 50 million people. And only 30% of that land is available for habitation. The mountains are very steep, rocky mountains, and well, very few people can live in there, just kind of spiritual hermitages and such high altitude shrines, but otherwise 30% uh, of the land's available for 50 million people. So it is maybe the third most crowded country in the world, according to the United Nations. So by now, they're like 80% urbanized and everybody lives in tall apartment towers. There is currently, for most of these people, these urban people, very little connection with the land, with the environment. Mm -hmm. They live in apartment towers for, for necessity. <laughs> For such crowded conditions, and then they they don't and they don't even have shrines near those buildings like some countries, say in Southeast Asia or even Japan, you'll more easily find on property uh, some little spirit for the local mm, nat yeah. nature spirits or land spirits. Not here, not in the city areas. These places are entirely devoid of any spiritual shrine content, and most people don't have one in their apartment even personally, no. But outside of Seoul, still the old traditions uh, in the countryside, outside of the big cities, 
in the mountain areas, the mountain villages, still a very strong connection and lots of shrines, many of them revived in modern times, as such, and a very close feeling connection. And even the urban people will then acknowledge those spirits when they go to the country mountains, even though they don't acknowledge them on a daily basis at their apartment complex. And I looked on your website and you were talking about how Korea is unique in that. What about the Sanchins? Yeah, Sanchin, the mountain spirit, it really, for the reason of, first of all, just topography, became the dominant folklore spirit of Korea and kind of made an interaction with every imported religious tradition. Uh, from China, Koreans got Buddhism and then later Taoism and then Confucianism and Neo-Confucianism. And the, each one of them interacted with the mountain spirit in a very powerful way, not taking it over, not absorbing it into themselves, but keeping it as an independent deity who just they had to deal with. And I just want people to realize what, what that means is it's like you've got the mountain spirit kind of hanging out with the the religion that decides to come into the mountain. So it's almost like yeah, Jesus they, hanging out with the they, they acknowledge this. And that is the first thing that really fascinated and hooked me into this whole study in uh, 1982 when I'm first here and I first visit a major Buddhist temple deep in the mountains, beautiful, beautiful mountains, right in, the, in a national park of Korea. And in this big Buddhist temple complex, so many buildings, there's a mountain spirit shrine and fairly central in the complex. And that surprised me because I, I knew about the, the, all the various oriental art, uh, religious traditions and their artistic motifs. And the mountain spirit is not Buddhist, so why is he in a Buddhist temple? It, it's like a different religion. You would not find this, at least you know, only in very subtle ways, in, uh, say, Japan or China or other closely related uh, traditions uh, like Thailand. Um, you wouldn't find that. But here, very prominently and very distinctly, there's a Taoist and shamanic mix mountain spirit shrine at a major Buddhist temple. That's like if you, say, walk into a Christian church and you see a Buddha statue or over on the side wall, you would say, what? What's this? Why? Wait a minute. And especially if you saw the church minister go over and start praying to that Buddha statue, you'd wonder, what's going on here? Well, I saw a Buddhist monk during that tour, near the end of the tour, a Buddhist monk go into the mountain spirit shrine and start chanting and praying, uh, lighting the candles and chanting to the mountain spirit. And I said, well, now why is this? This is a different religion. But here in Korea, it's really not. It gets mixed in with uh, all the great religious traditions. They acknowledge the mountain spirit in some way or another. He's the landlord. It's his mountain, you understand, uh, that they're there. The Buddhists know that this is a, a human religion and they are visitors and that it's imported. But the mountain, they know the mountain spirit was there long before Buddha was ever born. And they acknowledge that and say, you are primary and superior here, and we beg your permission to live here in health and in harmony with nature, and we give you offerings every day in exchange for your permission to live here. So essentially, it's like paying rent. Every mountain has a different sunshine, right? Now, this is true. There are some 
there's some way that you can talk about collective sanctions, um, of, and some professors kind of regard this as there is one mountain spirit of the entire nation who just manifests as avatars in various different mountains. Um, but it's more legitimate to think of each mountain, each peak, having their own spirit. spirit. The, the mountains out there, they would have ascension. They do. We're looking right out this window at the peak of uh, Yongmasan, the Dragon Horse Mountain, one of the powerful mountains surrounding Seoul, and then Achasan, the uh, Astonishment uh, View Mountain. Pretty much everywhere in Korea, see, you can see a mountain. There's hardly any place in the country that's so flat that, except for the obscuring of buildings, of course, but there's hardly any place, if you get in the open, that, that you can't see mountains and peaks around you because they're everywhere. So they really pervade the consciousness of the, the Korean people. Now that Korea has been split into two countries, mm. And isn't there like a holy mountain that's also been split in two? A mountain range? Clusters. Mm -hmm. um, yeah. The uh, the main Baekdudegan mountain range starts at the border of China and North Korea and runs through the entire nation as an unbroken chain of, you know, ridge and then peak and then ridge and peak and another peak and another peak. Uh, 1,500 kilometers of this. It's more than a thousand miles. The DMZ cuts that, and part of the work I do, as I am actually designated by the government as the ambassador of the Bektudagan Mountains, and its entire webline of uh, sub-ranges and further sub-ranges that make all the mountains of the nation and such. And we, one thing we work on is more of a sense of a unified. Korea based on a unified set of mountains. Yes, that they politically divided by the DMZ, but culturally. Uh, North Korea, as everyone would know, is a totalitarian, semi-communist, kind of fascist dictatorship yeah. where they take to worshiping the leader and they have wiped out any other modern religions that Korea used to have. Uh, of uh, Christianity, Buddhism, Confucianism, that's just all gone there. But still, even that very communist, atheist, fascist regime, they recognize the holy mountains and even make use of them, they're sacred mountains. In fact, it's very central to the mythology of their leadership. The fact that uh, Kim Il-sung, the original dictator of North Korea, was said to have fought the Japanese on the greatest mountain of Korea, that one that's that. on the uh, border between uh, North Korea and China. That great mountain, it's a 3,000 meter tall volcano, a great dramatic mountain. It said that he, f he communed with the mountain spirit there and f used the mountain power to fight against the Japanese, then later becoming dictator of North Korea. <laughs> And his son uh, supposedly was born on that holy mountain 
and they make big usage of this and exploitation. That he's born on the mountain and therefore would be infused with that mountain spirit. That was Kim Jong-il, the second dictator, and he utilized that reputation very much. And now his son, the third generation, is, in, is said all the time by North Korea to be infused with the Bektu bloodline from that Bektusan mountain. That means the white head mountain uh, with, with like white hair, imagine, because it always has snow on the peak. It is so high. So it's called the Whitehead Mountain, and that's Bektusan, so he's the Bektu bloodline. Um, they, they legitimizes his leadership now as the dictator of North Korea. So they use, they recognize the sacredness of those mountains. Even they are applying to UNESCO, to the United Nations UNESCO, for World Heritage Site status for some of their mountain areas, and they openly say these are sacred mountains, holy mountains to the Korean people. I'm guessing that if you've grown up in Korea, um, just the mythology of the mountains, it's just naturally through stories that you hear, and of course the TV shows, like when I was young and I was in America, I would watch TV shows mm. that were, you know, on those like video cassettes, you guys know what I'm talking about, the VHS mm. stuff that they would <laughs> send over to America so that the Korean Americans could watch it. And yeah, I would see images of the Sanshin, who was like usually an old dude with the white beard, and he'd be kind of like crotchety, you know, like he wasn't always like the nicest dude, and he was just, oh, yeah. you know, he was like grumpy. He was, he was He's a, a strict, dude. he has his rules and yeah. his laws, and a lot of that is about ecological preservation. This is a way that villages kept themselves safe. Long before anybody knew anything about bacteria or viruses, the mountain spirit declared that the headwaters of the village stream, the place on the mountain where the spring water comes out and, and the, the water protects, that you cannot go there, that that's a sacred area, meaning nobody can go up there and poop or piss in that water. Nobody can do their laundry or have sex. Uh, in that water or around it. You have to keep that pure and clean, and therefore the village below will be prosperous if that headwaters is kept clean. You may not cut trees around that area or certain other sacred grove areas. Trees may not be cut. Animals may not be killed in certain areas of the mountain. This kept the ecology healthy, and this idea then that then the village is healthy. And the mountain spirit, the Sanjin, very strict about that. His companion, his alter ego kind of companion or assistant is the tiger. And these, we're talking about serious Amur Siberian tigers who are up to, you know, eight feet long and tremendous uh, dangerous animals. They were king of the mountains here. And they were all over these mountains. And they would punish people who violated the Sanjin's rules and laws of mountain forest preservation. Oh, there were That's tigers in before, not now, obviously, but there were yep. tigers before. Last one, maybe, the very last one was killed about 1937. One, uh, Koreans have always lived together with the tigers. Sometimes they hunt and kill tigers, and much more often tigers killed Korean people. It's something they lived with. They dragged children out of farm fields when they're hungry or else attack travelers in the mountains. For this reason, mountain hiking for recreation was not an old traditional Korean thing before the 20th century. Nobody did that. The mountains were fearsome. Um, just to 
go over a mountain pass between the peaks was a pretty dangerous thing. You had to carry weapons to, uh, to defend against a tiger attack. They lived together with the tigers, and they respected the tigers. They loved the tigers. They regard the tiger as a manifestation of the mountain spirit himself, the lord of the mountain, and they feared them, and they believed that when a human was killed by a tiger, it's because he offended the mountain spirit. Yeah, like I noticed that um, on the subways, early in the morning, especially on the weekends, I see a lot of middle-aged people. They're all wearing like the same sort of like, it's not exactly like a jogging outfit, but uh, it's kind of like athletic gear. No, mountain hiking gear. Yeah, yeah mountain yeah, hiking gear, but they're all wearing... Serious stuff, stuff like Swiss serious. people wear. Yeah. Know? Yeah, yeah, yeah. With it, like poles and like a... Alcohol. <laughs> yep. Oh, yeah. They love to bring some spirits up into the mountain to help commune with the spirits. And shamans use that, too. Some of the shamans use alcohol to get in the right frame of mind yeah. for communication with the spirits. Oh, yes. So mountain climbing and hiking is a big thing, right? I noticed that there's a lot of meetup groups. So maybe it's having a resurgence with young people. Oh, yeah. Well, after 1960, it really becomes like the major national hobby. Simply, it's very good exercise. And the spiritual recreation of it, and the fact that there's so many historical and cultural places in the mountains, it's actually educational, if you're into that, you, you start learning and you keep learning about history and thing, things that happened there in the mountains. And it just becomes a beautiful experience all around. Let's mention the food. Um, Korean food is excellent, and I think many people know that these days and stuff in the restaurant. But there's mountain food that you can't get in the cities. Okay, and I'm you cannot get. You cannot get this in the overseas Korean restaurants. Um, meals of wild mountain vegetables, let's say, that are gathered by the old grandmothers of the mountain villages who know where to find. And in which every month of the year, it changes, of course, different roots and leaves and stems and mush different varieties of mushrooms month by month that are available. And these old grannies know how to find them. And unfortunately, when they die off, a lot of that knowledge is going with them because these days the young women generation are not learning these things. Breaks my heart. Yeah, it is because these restaurants then out there in the deep mountains are just a unique scene of wild mountain food. You have this kind of total experience. You set out in the mountain, set out in the morning on the mountain, hiking these trails and get to experience spiritual places. You, you find Buddhist uh, hermitages and meditation sites and shamanism and people uh, worshiping the mountain spirit in various all stone altars or in wooden uh, shrines with uh, great paintings and such. You experience this all day long and you find historic places and just uh, get ideas about Korean history and culture and finally you end up on the peak of the mountain with a great view of everything and you uh, drink and have some snack and you come down and you experience one of these great mountain meals for your lunch or dinner and then you relax in the hot springs or otherwise, as a recreational, uh, just relaxing for the evening in this great mountain area. And you become so refreshed and healthier and spiritually inspired at the same time as physically, uh, physically 
Nobody Hellfire. talks about this when they talk about coming to Korea. Nobody oh. talks about well, that. Well, they should. They should. I talk about it. Yeah. Every, yeah. Uh, I've been working. I've been so trying to promote that kind of tourism here in Korea for 30 years. What I remember seeing on your website some pictures of some sort of ceremony that was done. It was like, it looked like a Confucian ceremony, but it was done on a mountain and it was done outdoors. So it's not just these religions that sort of commune with this Hunshin, right? It's the well, ancestor worship as well. Yes, uh, even the Neo-Confucians, who are at a high philosophical level, really kind of atheist, but they acknowledge still the mountain spirit as host, as landlord. It's his mountain, and that's where this village is, and where this Confucian Academy of Education that's where they're located. So they would acknowledge that. They allow the common people to continue to worship the mountain spirit um, in a, as a deity and in a kind of a superstitious way. But also the, they themselves may or may not believe in such a deity, but they see it yet as an ancestor figure for the entire village, which is very useful. Under Confucianism, each family, each clan is... Uh, venerating, not worshipping, but venerating the spirits of their own ancestors, and that can lead to factionalism in the village of different families divided against each other. But then the mountain spirit becomes an ancestral figure for the entire village, that white-bearded old ancient grandfather guy that everybody together venerates, and that brings a village unity sense. So the Neo-Confucian scholars very much appreciate it that way. And further, you can kind of, if you want to get away from like a uh, religious spiritual uh, belief in, in deities, but to see a figure like the mountain spirit, see it as a symbol, a symbol of the relationship between human beings and their natural environment, which in this case is the mountains in more flat, giant areas like in China, just simply the land spirit, the earth spirit, as well as heavenly spirits and tree spirits, such things. Now, old people in traditional time, they didn't have these kind of concepts, we could say, of a just, you know, to, to symbolize the relationship. They had that, but, but they had this intuitive sense that there was a relationship. We are related with our environment. It influences us as we influence it. And if you keep the mountain forest healthy, the mountain will keep you healthy too. And if you destroy the mountain forest, you will get unhealthy yourself. Uh, lessons that we have learned at great cost <laughs> in modern time. To have that relationship, uh, and they knew that relationship very strongly, but uh, in the sense of not being able to think of it in abstract terms, but then having a deity, uh, a symbol, uh, to symbolize this relationship itself. That's what a mountain spirit is. So let's say that I am a, well, I am a witch, but some other witches come to Korea, they come mm. to Seoul, mm. and they want to continue the offerings that they made, let's say, in America to the land spirits. But now they're in Korea, they're in Seoul. No. And they want to start offering to Sanshin incense or whatever like what are some suggestions you would give like a, a new witch here like what sort of things to well, offer prayers okay now this is very doable 
You can often, there are many mountain spirit shrines, formal ones, with paintings and a statue of the mountain spirit at local areas or especially within Buddhist temples, but some of them are independent in the mountain areas just behind the village. You can find these uh, utilizing my website or other map activities, and you can go to one, and if nobody else is using it at the moment, um, you can go inside and do whatever sort of ritual you wish to do, and Nobody will really be offended with anything you're doing. Also, there are outdoor stone altars in many areas, which are really, you know, open to anyone to make use of, uh, with, with often a dramatic view or right up against a cliff of a mountain, a stone altar. The most basic thing, the, mo the universal way to respect the mountain spirit is simply to offer water. Get some good, clean spring water from the mountain spring, Put it in a bowl, either a nice porcelain bowl or a pottery thing or, or a metal, a, a polished steel bowl often used, and put that there on the altar, either in the shrine building or just the outdoor stone altar. Put that there. That's the most basic. Also, candles are often used. Sometimes in the national parks, this is a problem about fire danger and there are restrictions, but otherwise, candles and incense, burn incense. Those are the fundamentals. Then some people also make offerings, and people are kind of eclectic about this, but uh, things like dried fish or other dried foods, animal foods, uh, because it's a mountain spirit, it's all about nature. Sometimes vegetable kind of foods, sometimes sweet candies, and eat, uh, people offer chocolate. Even a uh, mountain spirit might enjoy some chocolate. Quite a few people offer liquor. Along with the water, uh, a cup of uh, soju, which is the kind of Korean vodka that's rather potent, or any other kind of traditional rice wine. I never see people offering beer. That doesn't happen. Or French wine now. <laughs> but if you felt a compulsion to do that, you could, and nobody would arrest you for doing so. Um, certainly, you can kind of make your own ritual according to your traditions or what intuitively you feel is right, or if you want to really follow a Korean traditional way, you do it like that. Um, you can. If you put out the water, perhaps a little liquor, a little foodstuffs, a little fragrance, those are the spirits. Light a cup of candles and then uh, burn a stick of incense or several sticks. Good. There. And then what's usually done is to prostrate yourself, a full prostration bow, three times. You mean like get on your hands and knees? Right? Yes, from standing in this kind of position, mm -hmm. and then go down to where you're face down on the floor and kneeling, but with face to the floor and your chest near the floor, with your hands like this, and on the third time putting your hands up like this to gonna receive the upper spirits. Uh, three, this is a Buddhist way of bowing and also Neo-Confucian and Taoist. It fits in with any of those also. But three times often doing that, and often people chant while they're doing it, and you chant your respect to the mountain spirit, your veneration. In Korean, that is San Wang De Shin meaning mountain king, great spirit. The king of these mountains is, is a great spirit indeed. Uh, so, San Wang De Xin. So, I would start uh, standing and focus on the mountain spirit after I put out my offerings. And in a mountain spirit shrine, people often do donate a little cash 
since all the offerings are generally set up, you light the candles, light a stick of incense, and you put a little yeah. money down, so you got some skin in the game. That you're committing something, and that helps support the shrine itself, of course, and its maintenance. Now, you do that, and you start chanting, San Wang De Xin, San Wang De Xin, San Wang De Xin, San Wang De Xin. And you focus your mind on the wisdom, on the clarity, on the health, on the mountain that brings good human health, all its complex plants and animals and such, and the good clean water that serves us so well. You focus your mind on those things and you chant like that to keep your mind focused and clear. And you do three prostrations at least. And then... Once that is done, you might offer any particular prayer of what you are hoping to find or what you need. Uh, your petition. In a practical, worldly way about your health, about mm -hmm. your psychology, or about conditions you need to change in your life. You know, in the, with prayer, you're kind of talking to yourself, to the back of your mind, uh, communicating. And so you fix that in and focus that desire on the mountain spirit. To kind of bring you connection that you want something from the mountain spirit and in exchange you are willing to contribute to the health and good ecology of this mountain have you personally connected to peaceful. any sunshine? well i have to say i've never actually seen one mm -hmm. <laughs> i get feelings you know feelings certain uh, excitement or sort of heart opening kind of uh, energy feelings. I've never actually seen a spirit or had one talk to me. Many people here do, people who are shamans. <laughs> That's what being a shaman is all about. See, You see the spirits, you hear them, they talk to you, you, you talk to them, you communicate. That's the very definition of a shaman, and in particular the mountain spirits, uh, very, very powerful for most of the great shamans of Korea. The mountain spirit really seems to be connected for me uh, as I said, I love, I love Buddhism, Taoism, Neo-Confucianism, and I love the mountains. And these are all combined together in one figure here. And when I found that, I said, well, that's, that's a god for me. You know, that's everything I love in one painting. There's something about when you walk around Seoul, and there's literally, you can see mountains. Everywhere. Just look up. And so they're very everywhere. accessible. Compared to a lot of other countries, you want to get into deep, wild, beautiful mountains, it's right next to the city. <laughs> and you can get there by public transportation for very little money, and you're there very quickly. From, from this campus right here, you got a five-minute taxi ride to the Dragon Horse Mountain. And you could be hiking. And up there, you find the shrines up high on the mountain. And there are certain mountains here in Seoul that are very holy, very sacred, right here in Seoul City, near downtown, like the Benevolent King Mountain in Wangsan. Have a look at my website. I got a whole section about this. It's one of the capital centers of Korean shamanism. And it's right close to downtown Seoul, kind of looming over it. Very easy to get to with incredible natural rock formations and basically a kind of mountain spirit worship, uh, boulder spirit worship, tree spirit worship, going on 24 hours a day up there, unacknowledged by the Korean government or the public. They won't tell you about this, and much of the public will say they don't know about this, and the government says, no, there's nothing going on up there, nothing at all, ignore that, do not go up there. Um, they don't include it in their tourism, it's not on the maps, 
And this is something I've struggled with during my career, try to bring that aspect of Korea to the attention of international tourists and get them to, or international observers even, get them to appreciate that side of Korea. The government doesn't want that. Why? Well, it's real root native Korean culture, not imported from China. And frankly, what they regard as real true national culture that they're proud of and they put in the National Museum is the imported Chinese traditions that they got from China, the, the Confucian traditions, the Buddhist traditions. They, their shamanism for like a thousand years has been very secondary to these imported religious traditions and they look down upon it. Since the 20th century, this idea that it's primitive, it's superstitious, we're modern people now, we're educated people. Many Koreans will tell you, we don't do that anymore. And yet, Mountain Spirit Shrines are very active all over the country, and there's tens of thousands of professional shamans who make a full-time living, and tens of thousands more of part-time or amateur shamans doing spirit worship and such related activities here, all the way to fortune-telling, and somebody's their customers. Millions of people must be their customers, although no one will confess. Protestant Christians might be only 15% of Koreans, American Protestant Christianity started here in the 1880s and grew very strong, but they, they are very dominant in government official ranks and other high-class, high prominent families of powerful people, doctors, lawyers, professional class, as well as the government officials, the national government, they're far more than 15%. They might be closer to 50%. And they have attitudes very much against Korean shamanism, fortune-telling, magical traditions, mm. spirit traditions of all kind, as well as against Buddhism. They say Buddhism is devil worship, mm. they call it. And they really would like this to be eradicated, but this is a religious freedom country, and so it can't really be wiped out. But they try to legally restrict it as far as they can, and they kind of keep it hidden, and they don't want foreigners to see this. So all through my career, I've tried projects of getting people to see the Sanjin mountain worship activities, get foreigners out to see them, and been shut down uh, many times, uh, forbidden to do this program, kicked out of some area trying to show people, or like had a television crews filming me at the Mountain Spirit Shrines explaining about it and then have that project canceled and the film destroyed by some vice president who happens to be a Christian and is saying, no, you can't show that aspect of Korea to the world. So yeah, it's been my whole career. I've been struggling with this and I still am. And I think you're also talking about mudangs, right? You're talking about... Mudangs are, but that's the Korean word for a shaman. For a shaman. A little bit Mm -hmm. insulting these days. A little ah. bit, uh, uh, people say like, oh, her daughter became a mudang. Um, a little bit negative in the way it's used in the current sense. Uh, shamans themselves prefer a politer term, manjin. 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 It means 10,000 spirits. It means a powerful shaman who can command or who can communicate with 10,000 different spirits. And sometimes... Certain humans have become mountain spirits. Wait, you mean they just, boom, became a mountain spirit? Well, it's not so much boom, usually. It's, it's more a case of passing away 
and then shamans in that area, Manjin, uh, spiritually aware people, have visions or dreams of that person has become the spirit of this mountain. And if that person was a great enlightened master, very wise person, or like a powerful military general or other great hero of the nation, they become mountain spirit. My friend, the German professor Dirk Schlotman, who does so much work on Korean shamanism and others, you find around YouTube about Korean shamanism, you can see quite a bit of this stuff in live action and see how it's done. sounds similar to what's going on in um, the UK and America right now where things like astrology, the occult, witchcraft, um, it's still kind of looked down upon um, as being superstitious as, you know, oh, you're a Pisces, so what, you know? But at the same time, there seems to be this resurgence of, like there's more and more people who are getting into the occult, at least in the West. Um, and in a way, it's a way for them to get reconnected to the earth, to spirituality. Um, this idea of science has thrown the baby out with the bathwater. Um, and so we're trying to reclaim the babies that are strewn around. Um, so there seems to be sort of a growing, especially there's this, um, it's a majorative, but a lot of, especially young women are starting to get back into witchcraft. And mm -hmm. it's called the witch aesthetic or Tumblr witches. Um, do you think that young people in Korea are starting to get well, back? I've, I've seen that all my life, mm -hmm. from America, around 1970, a resurgence in like Native American traditions and then Native European traditions of what we call paganism, witchcraft, of, of many different varieties and such through the 70s and getting very strong in the 80s. Mm -hmm. And I participated in some of that. Now, in Korea, to some extent, uh, Traditions being wiped out by modernism, and by the time you get to the 70s, the 80s, whatever, uh, this feeling of we're just modern people and uh, there's none of that anymore. Uh, and people used to tell me, oh, yeah, well, there's no shamanism here anymore, we don't do that anymore. And I find out that's totally not true. Mm -hmm. and, uh, and a bit of a resurgence these days. There are younger people, and now shamanism has more respect, and there are young women and a few of the young men are getting into those traditions and uh, finding that they like it, that they're interested, finding even that they can communicate with spirits and perform extraordinary feats, perhaps, um, and getting into that and becoming their... The major shamans here do have disciples, younger disciples, who are learning from them. There are some Korean shamans who speak good English, uh, We've either been in America for a while or are actual Korean-Americans. Uh, you can find these on YouTube or whatever who can really be doing Korean shamanism fluently in English, if necessary, along with all the spirit communication and the, uh, the fortune-telling aspects. So that's very much, it's part of modern culture. It's just very, rather underground. So much of what you've said, it really resonates with me. It's mm. almost like, usually I'm just like, show me your source, right? But it's like what you're telling me, it just 
just down to like my bone marrow. I'm just like, yeah, that, that kind of makes sense. Yeah, got Excellent. it. Excellent. Well, yeah. there's so much for you to explore. Yeah. I would recommend just start going into the mountains, uh, look at a map and find anywhere, especially mountain areas where there's a cluster of temples. You see the little red swastikas there indicating temples. Any place where there's kind of a cluster, that's a holy area, a sacred area. I know that some of you have talked about coming to visit me in Korea. You want to do it now? <laughs> have these you like should. little mountain spa retreats with you me? This place, spring and fall. Spring and fall are the times to visit Korea. We have heavy rains in the summer, be aware. It's not Lots like an American summer. Um, uh, heavy rains and high humidity, kind of a monsoon season. And so uh, spring and fall are the, the best times. Korea is a blue sky paradise mm -hmm. with good temperatures in yeah. May and October, especially the flowers of May, the autumn leaves of October. Korea is a real paradise to visit and many cultural festivals at that time. That's true. True, in which some of them include mountain spirit ceremony. I would love to hear your comments about this talk. It was so fascinating. Um, I'm really looking forward to reading some of the books that you have. And again, thank you so much for taking the time to talk today. My pleasure. Good magical fortune to all of you. everyone, thank you so much for listening to the Witches & Wine audio experience. If you enjoyed this podcast, please consider supporting me on Patreon. You can choose between a few membership tiers. They're super affordable and flexible. Your membership helps me continue making videos, podcasts, articles, lots of different things about all the sweet witchy stuff. Links are in the show notes. Also, don't forget to go on iTunes and give this a five-star rating. Each five-star rating helps rank this podcast higher in searches so that as many witches can find and enjoy these episodes as well. Until next time, this is Chawan, signing off.